in at the last second. He braked and slid his back tire out to the front, looking up at the top of the next hill ahead. Cooper braked right behind him. A black sedan crouched, its brake lights bright. Jewett, I saw a sedan in town. The brake lights dimmed, and the sedan moved smoothly over the arch of the hill. Now you saw one out of town, said Cooper. Peter stared at him. Don't you want to know what two cars like that are doing in New Lincoln? Cooper shrugged. If they were Fords, maybe. If they were Ford pickups, say 1958 or 59, then I'd care. Jewett, you should wonder if there's something wrong with you. No one else in the state wants to drive a 50-year-old pickup. I think of myself as unique, individual, independent, one of a kind, a free thinker, said Cooper. There's something wrong with you, said Peter, and they biked up to the herd house. It was a long drive to a small farmhouse, and Cooper sometimes wondered how it was that all the herds could fit inside at once. Maybe they couldn't. There was a herd in every single grade from New Lincoln Elementary to New Lincoln High and two in eighth grade and three in first and one off to college. Between them all, they could almost field both sides of a baseball game, except the roster would be dang hard to keep straight. And who could call the game with all those herds? Herd up with two outs, herd with two strikes and a ball, herd winds up, Herd on first leads, held on by Herd. Herd pitches, and Herd swings, and Herd takes off for second. Herd tracks it down in center. Mrs. Herd, surrounded by a good part of her roster, was waiting for them on the front steps. She took the flour and sugar from Cooper and handed them to a young Herd, took the milk from Peter and handed it to another young Herd, gave Cooper a brownie, her hands moved as quickly as a bird's wing and gave another to Peter. Eat them now, she said, and fluttered inside. Cooper ate his now, but he wasn't finished before Mrs. Hurd was back out and handing him a basket with a pie, an apple pie, one of Mrs. Hurd's apple pies. It has too much cinnamon in it, she said, and I'm worried that the apples might be too tart. One of Mrs. Hurd's prize-winning blue ribbon best-in-the-state apple pies. And it's probably not baked enough, but it's about milking time, so you best get on home with it. See you, Jewett, said Peter, and Cooper watched him get swallowed up and become part of the herd nest of bustle and business. There was this black sedan in town, Cooper heard him say, and then Peter was gone inside. Cooper swung his bike out and headed home, balancing the pie in one hand, his mouth still full of brownie. He pumped hard down the drive and up the hill, his legs burning from cross practice, but still no little carbonated bubbles right through his bloodstream, reached the top and coasted down toward the Jewett farm. The breeze chilled him, the wind sang again in his spokes, and the farm spread out below him the cows already heading toward the barn. The cinnamon smell of the apple pie came up out of the basket. And for a moment, it was all so right. For a moment. Then the stillness 
clutched him. He wished he had a dog waiting for him, a retriever named Barkus. If there was a dog, they'd go on Saturdays to show off on New Lincoln Common, and together he and Barkus would be Frisbee champions of all New Hampshire. He wished he had a brother or sister waiting, a brother to mess around with, someone to do chores with, someone on a lower bunk to talk to before he fell asleep at night. He wished he had a mother and a father, waiting with brownies when he came home from cross practice. On weekends, they would climb into a car that had a muffler and a back seat even, instead of old Ford, and drive to his meets. They would keep his times and cheer him through the sweat of the last quarter mile. He wished, he could hardly let the thought come, he wished he had a grandmother. He did have one until a year ago. She'd cook one thing he really, really liked each night, so he could choke down the lima beans that were good for him because there were sweet potatoes crisped with brown sugar right beside them. And he would tend her garden for her so that it would take more blue ribbons than a Fourth of July parade. He still tended it, one more way to remember her, but with the apple pie and its cinnamon smell, he was coasting down only to his grandfather, who liked to say, There's no use wishing for what the good Lord isn't going to send you. You just have to make do. Cooper figured that this was so, and most days he tried to make do and not to wish. But after stopping at Hurd's house, trying not to wish was like the orange sun trying not to jump up to morning or the pastel moon trying not to glow at dusk. So he did wish all down the hill. But he knew his grandfather was right. The good Lord had no intention of sending him anything he wished for. Which is not to say Cooper wasn't happy. Every day he ran cross hard enough to ache his muscles, worked at chores long enough to fall asleep quick and easy, and loved his grandfather, his wiry, cantankerous, New Hampshire dairyman grouse of a grandfather, enough to almost fill the hole in his heart. So almost every day ended happy, tuckered, but happy, and this one did too. Together, Cooper and his grandfather finished chores and evening milking, ate supper and most of the apple pie, and put up the dishes. Cooper read geometry, and his grandfather read Zane Gray. And when they had had enough of the math and the Old West... They ate the rest of the pie and then sat down in the parlor to watch the late news. Sort of. What with morning milking, then hauling hay bales to the loft, then weeding carrots until breakfast, then New Lincoln High School, freshman cross, then more hay bales and carrots in the afternoon, then evening milking, by the time the late news came on, Cooper was about as tired as a boy could get. He was glad his grandfather wasn't one to talk. Talk is only silence that ain't working well, his grandfather said. And most nights, tonight especially somehow, Cooper was glad of good silence. He yawned, then looked over at his grandfather watching the news. So still, so tuckered, he began to wonder if he was too still and too tuckered. Tuckered with the whole weary world. Maybe, thought Cooper, maybe I should start taking on evening milking by myself. 
He stretched and felt his muscles tighten and ache across his back and up and down his legs. At fourteen, he was already bigger than his grandfather, not taller, but bigger, and he wondered for about the quadrillionth time where his looks came from. As far as he could tell, there wasn't another Jewett with hair this light and eyes this green, not to mention these ears that stuck out farther than he wished they did. The news droned on. Nothing new, but Hannah Joyce, roving reporter, all excited about it. He leaned closer to his quiet grandfather, and Cooper wondered for about the octillionth time why he looked so different, and why he was the only kid on the continent who'd never seen a picture of his mother or father. Golly Moses, not one single picture. When Hannah Joyce announced an interview with Senator Wickham, and his voice began to pulpit forth from the screen, Cooper sat back. He knew his grandfather would wake up as excited as Hannah Joyce, because he loved hating politicians, senators and representatives, governors and selectmen and mayors. There wasn't a one that he couldn't find good reason to hate, and among politicians as a group. There was none he could find more reasons to hate than Senator Wickham, who he said should hold a pile of manure in each hand while he talked, so people could plainly see what was coming out of his mouth. He never said this aloud in New Lincoln Methodist Church. Our country needs to be heading in new directions, and to get to those new directions, our country needs a new vision, and to get a new vision, we need a new leader. Senator Wickham was saying, "Hannah Joyce tilted her head, but isn't it unusual for a candidate?"